Well, good morning, everyone. The message this morning is a continuation of a two-part message on the topic of heaven. If you weren't here last week and you find this information interesting and encouraging, you may want to listen to last week's message as well. Concerning heaven, we often hear about people who have had near-death experiences with reports of angels giving these guided tours of heaven. Many books have been written about subjects, uh, many movies have been made, and as most of you know, some of those accounts seem to be very authentic and true and very biblical, and others can be very misleading and unbiblical. And I think it would be wise for us to be cautious about putting too much stock in any of those accounts. Having said that, I don't think we should shy away from talking about heaven. In fact, Given that heaven is the supreme hope of the believer, I think we should actually think and talk about heaven more than we do. C.S. Lewis wrote this, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Paul tells us to set our minds on things above. We need to be heavenly-minded people who see things not just as they are in front of us, but as God intended them to be. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something inside of us that longs for heaven, and that's why it's so important for us to understand what the Bible says about it. Now, last week, I spent most of the time of the message talking about the current heaven, which the theologians call the intermediate heaven. As believers, that's where our loved ones go now when they die. That's where we go when we die, if we die before the Lord returns. I also talked about the future heaven, the new earth, which is really a combination of the current heaven, a renewed earth, and the city of God, which is called the new Jerusalem. We spent quite a bit of time last week talking about what heaven looks like, and this week I want to share more about what our experience will be like in heaven. Are you ready to dig in? All right. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for allowing us this time and this grace to be able to look into what you have planned for us. Lord, as we talk about eternal things, I pray that you would bring encouragement to our hearts and that you would provide renewed motivation for us to live our lives for you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, question number one, what will we experience in heaven? Now, without a doubt, the greatest experience we will have is seeing God face to face. When we think of heaven, We often think of the benefits of heaven. We think of what it will be like to have our renewed bodies. We think what it will be like to greet loved ones who we haven't seen for a long time. We think about the beauty of a redeemed creation and all the beautiful things that we'll see in heaven. But all of those amazing things will pale in comparison to seeing God face to face. He is the center of everything that we desire. Job said it best in Job 19. He said, in my flesh, I will see God. 
I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I think Job expresses what we feel about seeing God face to face. Now, no man has ever seen God. And the examples of those who caught a vision of God in the Old Testament especially are people who have fallen to the ground. Moses probably came the closest to seeing God, and he actually saw God's back. But even in that experience, God took great precautions to protect Job. He hid him in the cleft of a rock. We need to be radically changed in order to be able to see God as He is. We need to be made holy as He is holy in order to see God. Seeing God will be the primary joy of our lives. To look into the eyes of God will be to see what we've always longed for. God, when we see God, it'll be like seeing everything else for the first time. The second thing that we'll experience when we get to heaven that will overwhelm us is this overwhelming sense that we'll actually be living with God. God will dwell among men. Man and God will have the same home. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then in John 14.2, it says this, In my Father's house there are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that, so that you also may be where I am. God's glory will permeate every square inch of heaven. So where, wherever we go in heaven, we will experience the immediate presence of God. Throughout all eternity, we'll never be separated from His presence. We will have unhindered, unbroken fellowship with God forever. Incredible. Have you ever imagined what it would be like to have been with Jesus and the disciples when they were on the earth? Have you ever wished that you had the opportunity to be there with them? I have. But guess what? We will have those experiences because we will actually live with God just as the disciples did. What will it be like to live with God, to eat with Him, to talk to Him, to laugh with Him, to take walks with Him, to play together, to enjoy this amazing place that He has prepared for us. So what will our experience be of worship in heaven? Well, I can guarantee <clears throat> that no one is going to be standing in front by the throne of God and saying, Okay, people, now we're going to sing two hymns followed by six announcements and a short message and then prayer. Not going to happen. Rather, picture this, multitudes of God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered together in this large throng to praise Him for His greatness, for His wisdom, for His power, and for His marvelous works of redemption. We will be overwhelmed by His magnificence. We will fall on our faces in unrestrained gratitude and happiness. Worship will be as natural to us as breathing. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever been in worship and had a particular song that just grated on you that you didn't like? Have you ever been bored in church? Do you find yourself checking your cell phone to see what text or emails came in? Have you looked at the clock? Have you ever dozed off in church? Now, some of you are laughing. 
it's probably happened to you. Did you know that we can see everybody who falls asleep up here? Did you know that? (laughs) Or have you ever been distracted in your thoughts and you're thinking about all kinds of other things when the worship is going on or the message is going on? I have done all of those things, so don't feel bad. It's a part of the fog that we live in on this earth, but I'll tell you, I'm happy to say that in heaven, this won't be a problem. We were created to worship God. There is no higher pleasure than worshiping God. And you know what? If we fully knew this, this sanctuary would be packed the moment Nathan strikes his first chord on the guitar. We will never be distracted by lesser things. Just as lovers are never bored with each other, so we will never be bored with God. We will never lose our fascination for Him. The thrill of knowing God will never subside. Now, will we always be worshiping God? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that worship will be the very atmosphere of heaven and an integral part of everything that we do. But there will be many times, however, when we will be doing other things. but it all will be worship. Have you ever spent a day or several hours where you felt God's presence when you were doing something else, like taking a hike or or, uh, riding a bike or maybe working out in the garden or taking a drive out in the country or reading a book or even doing the dishes? Those little moments that you have with God are foretastes of what we'll experience in heaven. And not just for a few fleeting moments, but always. What will we discover and learn in heaven? When we get to heaven, obviously, we're going to see things much more clearly than we do now, and we're going to know far much more than we know as well. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says this, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, we won't know everything, of course, because only God knows everything. But just as the angels long to look into the mysteries of God and understand the depths of God, so we too will long to discover and to learn the depths of God. Maybe we'll be able to look back and see things as they happen on the earth. Part of understanding God's mysteries is clearly seeing how God worked through history. Can you imagine being there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount? Or when he fed the 5,000? Or can you imagine being there when God, through Moses, split the Red Sea and the Israelites walked through? Or when Daniel's friends came out of the fiery furnace? I believe that we'll be able to see all the things, again, that we read about in the Bible. And all of the many things that the Bible doesn't reveal or show. All the untold stories of the Bible. What will it be like to meet famous Christian authors like C.S. Lewis or Francis Schaeffer or A.W. Tozer or to meet many of the missionaries or, or martyrs down through the centuries or leaders in history who were believers like Abraham Lincoln? What will it be like to talk to the angels about the part that they played down through the ages? There'll be millions of different stories and we'll have thousands of years to hear all those incredible stories. I imagine we'll relish those great stories. We will ask questions. We will laugh together. And we'll just shake our heads in amazement. Maybe God will choose to show us events from our lives as they happen. Often we don't see immediate answers to prayer. 
Maybe we'll see why God acted the way He did. Maybe why He didn't answer our prayers the way we prayed. How many times have I prayed that God would make me Christ-like and then begged Him to take away the very things that He allowed to make me Christ-like? <clears throat> How many times has God heard our cries when, he thought, when we thought He didn't? How many times has God said no to our prayers when saying yes may have been more harmful? Maybe he'll show us what could have happened if we made other choices. How many times have I complained and whined about the circumstances that God may have used to protect me? Like how missing that exit on the freeway may have saved me from a crash or how getting delayed at the grocery store may have saved me from a fatal accident. Maybe we'll be able to see the ripple effects of our own acts of kindness and faithfulness, like George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life. Perhaps we'll be able to see how our actions and choices affected other people in positive ways. Wouldn't seeing these things fill our hearts with gratitude for God's sovereign grace? Wouldn't having a better understanding of how God worked through history and how He worked all things together for my good cause us to see more of His goodness and bring more glory to Him? Isn't this a part of what it means in Ephesians 2 when it says that in the coming ages, God will show us the incomparable graces of His riches of His grace? There will always be this progressive, ongoing revelation about the grace and glory of God. We will never exhaust the depths of God. The sense of excitement and wonder that we feel about the things we learn will ever be refreshing and stimulating. There is so much to learn and discover, and we'll have all eternity to do just that. Right now, time is our enemy. There are so many interesting people I haven't met. There are so many books I haven't read. There's so much music I haven't listened to. There are so many places I haven't been. So many golf courses I haven't played. <laughs> haven't you ever wished for several lifetimes to be able to take it all in? Well, guess what? In heaven we will. At the end of each day, we will have just as much time left as we did the day before. Isn't that amazing? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so those are some of the things that we'll experience in heaven. Question number two. What will our bodies look like? Isn't this an interesting one? Before I got married, I lived with a quadriplegic named Randy. Randy had cerebral palsy. And I remember very vividly how difficult life was for Randy. And I remember very vividly all the things that I had to do to care for Randy and meet his basic needs. When Randy and I would go someplace and we'd have to go up a flight of stairs uh, and there wasn't an elevator, he had a very, very heavy motorized wheelchair. I would actually pull him out of his wheelchair and I'd get down under and I would pick him up and carry him on my shoulder like a fireman's carry and I'd walk him up the stairs. Lots of times when Randy just needed to get out of his wheelchair and get some exercise, I would take him to the gym and lay him down on the floor and he would literally roll on the floor to get some exercise. Every time Randy and I would go to a wedding, and back then I was a young man, and so we attended a lot of weddings because a lot of our friends were getting married. Every time we were at a wedding, he would just bawl uncontrollably. 
because he knew he would never experience the loving embrace of a woman. Randy died a few years ago, and I can't tell you what joy it gives me to think about what Randy will look like when he gets his renewed body. I can't wait to see him walk and run and jump and even talk so that others can easily understand him. What about all the people that you know who have been compromised or debilitated in some way? Can you imagine the rejoicing in heaven when they get their new bodies? What will it be like for the disabled and the weak and the elderly when they get their new bodies? Again, C.S. Lewis in The Last Battle, which I quoted from last week, on entering heaven, one of the characters commented on the elderly being unstiffened. Do you ever feel stiffened? And more and more with each passing year, right? I am really looking forward to being unstiffened. In heaven, we will truly be the best versions of ourselves. Every person will be unique, just as you are now. You will have your own memory, your own personality, your own gifts. You will have your own interests, your own passions. But those facets of you will be restored and they'll be amplified and they'll be without tarnish, without the effects of sin. It's hard to comprehend, but all the negative things that we don't like about ourselves, the deceitfulness, the laziness, the lust, the pride, the selfishness, even our disabilities and our diseases, that is not the real you. Those are temporary distortions which will be eliminated. Praise God. When you are on the earth, on the renewed earth, for the first time, you will fully be the person that God created you to be. We may all have in our own mind what our renewed bodies will look like, but God is the one who decides what we look like and how old we will be. The unique features in us that make us recognizable and different from each other will still be there on the new earth, but they won't be impacted at all by the things that affected his perfect design in us. We won't be gazing into the mirror wishing that we had a different nose or different ears or straighter teeth or somehow a different height. We will feel neither insecurity or arrogance about our bodies. We won't try to hide or impress. The sinless beauty of the inner person will just flow out to the outer person. We won't have to try to be beautiful because we will be beautiful. We will probably still have our five senses, although they'll probably be with increased power and sensitivity. How do I know that? Because the Scripture says that our bodies will be like the Lord's after He rose from the dead. And we know that when Jesus rose from the dead, He saw, He heard, He touched. When He cooked fish for His disciples on the beach, presumably He could taste the fish and smell the fish that He was cooking. It's even possible that we may have other senses in heaven that we don't have now. There are so many things that we don't know. Will we be able to see new colors? I mean, can you even imagine seeing a color that you haven't seen yet? Will we be able to see ultraviolet or infrared? Those are invisible to us right now. We know that eating and drinking will be an important part of heaven just as it is on this earth. There'll be many banquets and there'll be many feasts and, of course, it all begins with the wedding supper of the Lamb. If our food tastes good now on this fallen earth, can you imagine what it's going to taste and smell like in heaven? 
For those of you who love food, and I'm one of those, your best meals are in front of you. (laughs) Some people are pretty happy about that. So will we get hungry in heaven? Sure, but we won't experience the pain of hunger. Will we get tired in heaven? Sure, but we'll have time for rest, and our sleep will be deep and restorative. Our bodies will never fail us as they do now. They will work in perfect harmony with our renewed minds. It's hard to know what our bodies will be capable of. But again, if they're going to be like the Lord's body, they'll be incredible. Remember, the Lord could appear and disappear in moments. Walls and doors weren't obstacles for him. When he ascended into the heavens, he defied gravity. Now, it's possible that many of those abilities will belong to the Lord only, but who knows what glorious plans the Lord has for our bodies. Now, some people mistakenly think that when we get to heaven, that we'll be angels. We are not going to be angels. Angels are angels, and humans are humans. We are a different creation of God. The fact that angels have served us here on earth will make meeting them particularly fascinating. They will have been with us since childhood, protecting us, standing by us, doing whatever they could in our lives and on our behalf. They have probably virtually witnessed every moment of our lives. Besides God himself, probably no one knows us better than the angels. What stories they will tell about the ways that they saved us and protected us. It will be such a great experience to get to know these ancient creatures who lived long before we were created. There is so much that we will learn from the angels. But you know what? As those who have gone through redemption and as those who bear the image of God, angels will learn a lot of things from us as well. It'll just be beautiful. Question number three. What will our relationships be like? God has made us relational beings. Relationships are very important in heaven, and deep and satisfying relationships in heaven will be, I think, one of God's greatest gifts. We will all remember our lives and our relationships on earth. In fact, we'll even remember people and names of people that we've forgotten, which in my case will be a special blessing because I have a hard time remembering names. In heaven, we'll all be looking forward to, the, to those who we long to be reunited with. And every reunion with loved ones will be a, extreme joy and delight. All of the brokenness and dysfunction we experienced in relationships on earth will be gone. The memory of that brokenness will give us a sense of perspective, and it will increase our understanding and appreciation of what God did to redeem those relationships. In heaven... All of our relationships will be perfectly harmonious. It will be what we've always longed for. Now, some of us lack family here on the earth, and it's a great source of sorrow. Maybe it was because of a death or maybe a divorce. Maybe it was never being married when you wanted to be. Maybe it was not being able to have children or losing children at a young age. Or maybe you're one of those who was adopted and you never knew who your parents were. All of these relational family needs and longings will be met by the family of God in heaven. Jesus encouraged and comforted us by saying that as his disciples, when we lose family for whatever reason, we will gain brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the kingdom of God. 
We actually have that now. They're sitting right next to you. This is our family, you guys. But we won't realize the importance of it or the depth of it until we get to heaven. But we have all kinds of mothers and brothers and sisters and relatives here in our midst. Most of you have read that there won't be marriage in heaven. Marriage on earth will always be a reflection of what will be in heaven. Marriage is a shadow. It's a copy of the true and ultimate marriage between Christ and His bride. Now, some of us with good marriages might be slightly sad about that, but it's important to remember that even the best marriage on this earth won't be nearly as satisfying or fulfilling as our marriage to Jesus, our eternal groom. Here on earth, we long for the perfect marriage. That's exactly what we'll have in heaven. Connie, my wife, is my best friend and my closest sister in Christ, but she'll even be more so in heaven. Nothing will take away the fact that we were husband and wife on this earth and that we invested so much of our lives with each other. I fully expect that no one beside God will understand me better on the new earth. And there's nobody whose company I'll seek and enjoy more than Connie's. But her relationship to me as a sister in Christ will be far more important than her relationship to me as my wife. When someone told Jesus that his mother and brother Mother and brothers are here, outside. Jesus said, well, who are my mother and brothers? Aren't they the ones who do my Father's will? In the family of God, there will be a bond that actually transcends biological family ties. It will be stronger, it will be deeper, and it will be broader. We'll appreciate each other in greater ways than we do right now, even though it's true right now. Okay, here's a tough one. What about those that we knew and loved who didn't make it to heaven? Won't our knowledge of their absence take away our joy and cause us sorrow? Well, there's nothing more tragic, of course, than missing out on God's plan of salvation. However, in heaven, our understanding of God's justice and His righteous judgment will give us a divine perspective that will allow us to see things the way God sees things. We'll never be doubting God's goodness. In fact, along with the throngs of heaven, we'll be saying, good, true, and just are your judgments. True and just are your ways. Okay, question number four. What will we be doing in heaven? When we were kids growing up, We didn't have cable TV. We were lucky if we had three, maybe four stations. And so we were raised on fairy tale Disney movies. In fact, one of our favorites was Cinderella. And I think one of the reasons we like those fairy tales so much is because they awaken something real in us, something that we wish would actually happen. Well, guess what? We really will be rescued by a prince who will sweep us off of our feet and carry us to his palace to live with him forever, happily ever after. (laughs) Revelation 19 says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. We will be the bride of Christ, 
Now, this is just not an honorary title. We will actually be the wife of Jesus. From eternity past, it's always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And incredibly, a bride has been added to the Holy Family, or will be. It's amazing. I say all this to say that as the bride of Christ, we will not just be a trophy wife, (laughs) but we will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Just as we co-labor with Him now as a bride in waiting, so we will be co-laboring with Him then, doing real work as His bride in heaven. God gave Adam and Eve the job of managing the earth. It was to be a labor of love. And when Adam disobeyed and he came under the curse, managing the earth became a chore and a source of grief. Adam abdicated his God-given responsibility to exercise dominion over the earth the way God intended. But in his redemptive purposes, God will restore that original responsibility back to man as his bride we will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. The Bible says that along with Christ, we're actually going to judge the world and even the angels. The Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth. It's a promise that will literally be fulfilled. In Daniel 7, it says that the power and the greatness of the kingdom of God will actually be turned over to the saints. We will become stewards and managers of the world's wealth and accomplishments. This dominion that we exercise under His rule will produce God-exalting cultures and societies which will exercise His creativity and His intelligence and His intellect and His skills. Helping God rule the new earth means that we'll be using the creativity that He gave us to develop and to expand and to invent and to create and to enrich the new earth. We're going to have plenty to do. And all of that will include art and science and music and crafts and technology. He delights in our creativity, just as we delight in the creativity of our children. By exercising these gifts that He's given us, we'll be manifesting God's attributes in the universe. Through our creative work, we will glorify God in the sight of all creation. Isaiah 9 says that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Christ's government, which involves all of us, will be continually expanding. Scientists say that the universe is constantly expanding. There are so many new worlds. There are billions, can you imagine, billions of galaxies with trillions of stars and planets and moons. The size of the universe is absolutely staggering. All of this is going to be ours to explore and ours to rule for God's glory. Wow. Now, for some of you, doing work in heaven may not conjure up positive thoughts. You might be stuck in a job that you don't like, or maybe you've got the personality where the things that you do, you do more out of duty and obligation than delight. I've always found joy in work. In fact, when we were raising our girls, I always used to try to teach that value to the girls. And I would say to the girls, girls, work can be fun. And I would say it really enthusiastically. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure if they bought it, but we sure had fun trying. Well, I had fun anyhow. Our jobs in heaven, you guys, will actually be a reward and not a punishment. Matthew 25, 23 says this. Jesus said this. He said, well done, 
good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Do you guys notice how work and happiness are equated? Our work in heaven will be exhilarating, it'll be enriching, and it'll be deeply satisfying. It will never be a drudgery. Our service will bring delight to us, and it'll bring glory to God. We will absolutely love what we do and will be perfectly suited to do all of it. We will actually have more responsibilities, increased opportunities, greater abilities, resources, and wisdom. We will have sharp minds, strong bodies, clear purpose, and unabated joy. Work will actually be fun. Now, I know some of you look at your own gifts and abilities, and you say, How could I, what could I possibly do for God that would have any useful purpose? Listen, you guys, it's not the gifted and the talented who will have those jobs. It's not those that God is looking for. He's looking for the humble and for the meek and the faithful. That's what matters to Him. Remember, they are the ones who will inherit the earth. Who will the, who will the kings of the new earth be? Look around you for the meek and the humble, the street sweepers, the locksmiths, the bus drivers, the stay-at-home mom who spends her day changing diapers, doing laundry, packing lunches, drying tears, and driving carpools. Those are the ones who God is going to put in charge. Those are the ones who will have many amazing gifts to do the things that God calls them to do. Remember, in the kingdom of God, it says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Question number five. Will there be animals in heaven? This is an interesting one. Let's read this from Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on, my, on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God made all the animals of the earth, and he declared them good in Eden. The principle of continuity that I was talking about last week suggests that they will be an important part of the redeemed earth as well. If what happened with Noah and the animals is a sign of redemption or a symbol of redemption, then why wouldn't their renewal be a part of God's redemptive plan on the new earth as well? Animals are important to God. God cares about the animals, and He cares about their welfare, and He holds us accountable for them. Well, Joel, if, if God loves the animals so much, why did He command that they be sacrificed in their religious ceremonies? Well, you guys, it's because of the importance of animals as living creatures that they could be symbols of the ultimate Redeemer. It's because of their value that their sacrifice revealed the horror of sin and the tremendous cost of redemption. Each animal sacrificed pointed to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. 
In the book of Revelation, every creature in heaven is exhorted to praise God. Eight times living creatures are reported to be giving glory and honor to God. The four living creatures who we read about who cry, holy, 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 are animals, living, breathing, intelligent, articulate animals who dwell in the presence of God, worshiping and praising Him. Now, theologically, it's important to remember that animals are different than humans. Okay, animals are not created in the image of God like men are. Animals are not included in the atonement. Animals will not be redeemed and reconciled as, or excuse me, redeemed and resurrected as men are. But if we believe God is their creator and intends to restore his creatures from the bondage that they experienced because of our sin, then we have biblical grounds, biblical grounds for not only wanting, but also expecting that they will be with us on the new earth. Just as they came under the curse of mankind's sin, so they will come under the blessing of mankind's redemption. As mankind goes, so goes creation. And this is very much in keeping with Romans 8, which says that along with us, creation groans for redemption. It'll happen. Now, this next point may touch a nerve because many of us have our own opinions about this. But many of us who have been touched by beloved pets want to know if our pets will be with us in heaven. Now, I hear some of you out there saying, Joel, I can't believe you're touching this with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) Again, pets are not the same as humans, but God, as their maker, has touched many of our lives through pets. It would be a simple matter for God to recreate our pets, but will He? Recently, Pastor Nathan told of us of a story. He shared how God put on Megan, his wife's, uh, his wife's name is Megan, how, how God put on her heart the thought that maybe they should get their kids a pet. And even though Nathan and Megan weren't too excited about the idea and all that would be involved in caring for it, they wanted to bless their kids. The Bible says that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God, the Father, know how to give good gifts to us? If it would please us to have a pet restored, that may be enough reason for God to do it. In her excellent book about heaven, Johnny Erickson Tata says this, if God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character. So let's not correct our children and our grandchildren when they pray that they would see Sparky again in heaven. That's up to God. And there may be scriptural reasons to believe that he may very well answer their prayers. Question number six. What about missed opportunities and dreams? You guys, this is my favorite one, and you'll see why in a few minutes. There's a philosophy in this world that goes like this. You only go around once on this earth, so grab whatever you can. Now, for a believer, we know that this is not true. And while most of us know that this isn't true, we still find ourselves grasping for things in this life, and we find ourselves lamenting missed opportunities and missed dreams. I'm no different than anybody else. 
There are many times when I find myself vacillating between feeling sorry for myself and grieving the fact that I don't get to experience this or go here or do that. Sometimes the longing in your heart can actually be painful. When we face untimely death or disease or suffering or pain or grief or disability or any lost lost opportunity, we think somehow that we've missed out. We didn't have a chance to live out our dreams. But let me suggest this. The pain that we experienced at some perceived loss is because of our failure to understand God's redemptive purposes. Living under the curse means that we miss countless opportunities. But having the curse removed means that we will regain those opportunities and many more besides. When you experience the pain of disappointment, the loss of missed opportunities, and unfulfilled dreams, remember this, the loss is only temporary. Our God, who delights in redemption, who delights in renewal, who delights in restoration, will give back to us what was missed or lost. God just won't take those desires away from us. He will actually compensate for the loss in a way that's even better than if we hadn't experienced the loss in the first place. Listen to this, you guys. It was God's original plan for us to live happily, happy and fulfilled lives. The reason all of us want to be happy is because God made us that way. How many people are in this room? Hundreds. Every single one of you wants to be happy. Is there anybody here who doesn't want to be happy? We're that way because God created that, us that way. The problem is that we try to get that happiness from the world. We put way too much pressure an emphasis on finding happiness in this life, and we go to great lengths to try to get it. The pursuit of power, the pursuit of fame, money, drugs, pleasure, comfort, all have happiness as their motivation. We catch glimpses of happiness on this earth, but it never lasts. We can't keep it. Even as believers, we have the right to reach into our inheritance and experience some of that eternal happiness now. But even now, we won't experience it until we experience it in its fullness when God's redemptive purposes are complete. The results of the fall interfered with God's plan for happiness. But as God promised in His Word, He will make all wrongs right. He promises to make up for the heartbreaks of this earth. Your broken dreams will be fulfilled. You will have another chance to dream of what you want to do and many more besides. missed relational opportunities will be regained as well. Consider the millions of Christians around the world who have suffered and died because of their faith. Even now, there are thousands of Christians who are in prison, some who will spend the rest of their lives there, being snatched away from their families, being deprived of opportunities to be with children, parents, and spouses. Wouldn't it be just like Jesus to reward them on the new earth for all the lost opportunities and all the things that they missed out on? Heaven will not only bring comfort, it will bring compensation. When someone dies prematurely, we think, what a waste. One of my best friends died at age 46. My mom died at age 50. She missed all of our weddings. She never got to see any of her grandchildren. 
There is so much that they missed. There is so much that they could have done. But you know what? In God's economy, there's nothing that's ever wasted or lost. No preparation that's ever in vain. Somehow, all of those missed opportunities will be theirs in heaven. What a great God we have. Amazing. Yes, amen. Okay, the last question, I'm going to bring us home with this. Question number seven. Are you ready for the great adventure? Yeah. (laughs) In the Lord of the Rings, when uh, Bilbo Baggins is getting ready to sail off at the end of the movie in the elven ship towards heaven, remember that scene? With a twinkle in his eye, he says, I think I'm quite ready for another adventure. Are you quite ready for another adventure? Both the adventure on this earth with a clearer view of the shoreline and the adventure that awaits us in the age to come? Nothing is more misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. Our homesickness is why we want so much more than what we have. Our homesickness is why we think we need to have things and try to get things that bring happiness but in the end, they don't. What we really want is the person that we were created for, and that is Jesus. What we really desire is the place that we were created for, and that is heaven. Have you ever had that perfect moment in life when you said, you know what, it doesn't get any better than this? That moment that you wish you could put that moment into a bottle and hang on to it, but couldn't? Well, the most ordinary moment on the new earth, if there is such a thing, will be greater than any perfect moment on this life. And you will be living those moments over and over again without fear that it will end, without fear that something will spoil it. Randy Alcorn, who wrote an excellent book about heaven, said this. He said, The best things of this life are souvenirs from Eden and appetizers of the new earth. I love that. Because we're right in between, aren't we? He said, the best things of this life, think of the things that you love and enjoy. He said, those are little souvenirs from Eden, carryovers from the way God originally designed it. And they're only appetizers of what God has prepared for us in the future. And then he goes on to say this, there are just enough of them to remind us, but not enough of them to make us satisfied. Our desires and our longings are signposts that point towards heaven. This is why we need to spend our lives cultivating our love for heaven. This is why we need to meditate on what the Scriptures say about heaven and teach it to our kids. There is a reason why God has told us in the Word what He has. The reason God tells us is so that we can make sense of our broken pasts, so we can make sense of our present, so that we can have great hope for what's coming in the future. With heaven in mind, even our most painful experiences in this life are just temporary setbacks. Knowing that our suffering will be relieved and even rewarded doesn't make it easy, but it makes it more tolerable. It makes it more bearable. It provides perspective and sometimes even joy in the midst of our suffering. Suffering and death, you guys, are temporary conditions that have a permanent remedy. And that's why Peter says this in 1 Peter 4. He says, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
He actually says, rejoice that you participate in suffering so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Granted, heaven is about the future, but it has tremendous benefits in the here and now. If we truly grasp this, it will radically change our perspective and it will profoundly affect the way that we live our lives. If we think regularly of heaven, we won't be as easy prey for Satan's lies, will we? If we think more about heaven, sin will be far less appealing than it is right now. If we think often about heaven, we won't be as preoccupied by all the distractions of this world. Heaven will truly be our blessed hope and the anchor of our souls. Are you ready for the great adventure that awaits us? I am, and I hope you are too. Would the worship team please come up? As they're coming up, I'd like to pray for you. Lord, what can we pray? Words are inadequate to express how awed we are by who you are and by what you have prepared for us. Lord, all of this is a profound picture, a grand story of how much you love us. Lord, to be able to see you face to face will be the crowning experience of our existence. And then to be able to enjoy heaven with you and all the places that you've created for us, it's just hard to take in, Lord. It's hard to comprehend. All we can say, Lord, is thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, if there are people here today who don't know you and don't know for sure that they will go to heaven to see you and to enjoy all the things that you have made, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw them. And I pray that they would open their hearts to receive you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for all of these things, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. I, am, I felt so honored to be able to share these things with you. I've been waiting for months to be able to share these beautiful things with you guys. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> the worship team will continue to play. I just want to encourage you guys to just kind of sit in the sanctuary a little bit, enjoy the presence of God, meditate on some of the things that you've heard today. There'll be prayer teams up here as well, so if any of you need prayer, feel uh, feel free to come up and get prayer. God bless you and have a great day.